Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Even if all the regular mainstream species of fish which sea anglers rely on were to suddenly disappear, as things currently stand, mullet would still not become one of the new bread and butter species. Lose the butter, but still keep hold of the bread for bait, and with a little bit of flexibility, such as learning a few basic freshwater techniques, there is absolutely no reason at all why this could not then be the case. For dyed-in-the-wool sea anglers, I can understand some of the reluctance. Fear of the unknown, including alien tactics and thinking, have lent a mullet being labelled as uncatchable. But aren't all fish uncatchable if you go about things in the wrong way? True, mullet can be a bit more frustrating than most at times. On the plus side, they fight like demons, a fact enhanced by the light tackle often employed in fishing for them. What's more, they can also be fished for from pretty much all manner of location. Everywhere from harbours and estuaries through to open beaches. Even at times from kayaks and small boats, or perhaps even a charter boat tied up at its mooring after the offshore fishing day is done. Despite what's put around in urban myth, people who are successful with mullet are not magicians or super skillful. They're just ordinary anglers who've taken the trouble to both try and not to be beaten when things don't always go as planned. One such a person is Devon angler Wayne Thomas, who I'm linked up here with now. So, mullet, uncatchable, or are they just one more species to be enjoyed once the correct angling approach has been mastered? Uh, no, mullet are like any other fish, really. They've got their own challenges. Uh, one of the reasons that people think mullet are very difficult to catch is because very often they're visible. So if you can actually see a fish and not catch it, that puts you on the back foot, so to speak. But there's lots of fish that we fish for that we don't catch. We assume they're not there, but very often they are actually there. We just don't catch them. So with mullet, as I said, they're easily visible. Because they've got small mouths, we tend to have to use specialist tackle to catch them. And because I'm an all-round angler and has fished for lots of different fish, that's perhaps why I've fished for mullet and not been put off by the uncatchable label. What was it then that drew you to mullet in the first place? I used to go down to Cornwall on holiday with my parents. Uh, we normally used to stay in Loo on the South Cornish coast. Um, very often used to see mullet swimming around down there. And at that time I was probably early teens and I'd done a little bit of course fishing for roach and perch and so I had some quite light freshwater tackle and I'd read a little bit about mullet so I started fishing down, down there for the, for the mullet because there were some locals down there who used to catch the mullet and we used to float fish with little bits of fish flesh and caught lots of smell as well but also caught some quite decent mullet you know fish of two three pound and that was really where I started started mullet fishing and then from there when I came home to North Devon initially I did a lot of float fishing in the local harbour in Coomartin float fish with bread flake there and then some of the other venues of fish nearby seemed to work better with a ledgering tactics so tried a, a varied approach it was really just a case of adapting freshwater tactics to the mullet and 
back then there seemed to be a lot more mullet locally and I think that was partially due to the fact that in North Devon in particular we had a lot of sewage discharge points where there was raw sewage going into the sea that anywhere you could find a raw sewage discharge into the sea you would find mullet because mullet are very opportunist feeders and if you can find a source of food they will adapt to it which can make them quite easy to catch so for example at one of the local sewer outlets we would float fish with a bunch of maggots and the bites and that you would got were extremely positive the float would disappear out of sight and you'd catch mullet after mullet in quite a short space of time until the tide came in you could no longer reach the vantage point but they became they were they're really easy to catch in those conditions but strangely the same mullet when i say the same i assume they were the same mullet at high tide would move up to the top of the river and they would appear to be virtually uncatchable there and yet they are undoubtedly the same fish so their behavior would change according to where they were and what they were feeding on you mentioned bread there and i also mentioned it in my introduction but where exactly does bread fit in the overall league table of mullet baits well i've tried lots of different baits for mullet and i've never found anything to really beat bread it seems to work really it's highly visible it's something you can apply you can use ground baited bread which attracts them but for some reason bread seems to be reasonably selective i mean having said reasonably selective i've caught bass pollock wrasse garfish mackerel smell on bread flake when i've been fishing for mullet so it's not totally selective but it, it is more selective i mean if you fish in in estuaries and you use worm baits or small fish baits you'll catch lots of school bass and small pollock and gobies and so on and so forth and with bread it does tend to be more selective i've used maggots as i said around sewer outlets and maggot seems to work well sweet corn will work well around sewer outlets but i've tried the maggots away from the sewers and had very little success i've tried little sea slaters and stuff like that again very limited success uh, the only other bait i've done quite well on in some locations is fish flesh little cubes of mackerel or even cod or garfish is particularly good garfish flesh is really tough so it, it stays on the hook well but mullet in general don't like a lot of skin on the fish flesh they seem to prefer just the pure flesh having said that I remember fishing an inshore wreck in South Wales with Dave Lewis for triggerfish when later in the day we decided to put whole sides of mackerel out to see if there were any conger knocking about. Then I get this scorching run. Eventually we spot this silvery grey fish powering across the surface which to my mind had to be a bass but when the landing net dropped on the deck there it was a four and a quarter pound grey mullet. Yes it does happen I've seen mullet over four pound caught by fellow anglers and they've been fishing with a a whole side of mackerel um, i've had some success in the past when i've been just fishing with a beach caster for for bass to actually just fish a little flyer off of the main bait so if you've got a, a mackerel head for bass i have caught by just putting like a size 8 hook or size 10 hook 
on a very short hook length and I have caught the odd bonus mullet fishing like that because sometimes you get lots of you, you'll be fishing and you'll see lots of little indications on the rod tip and you think oh it's probably silver eels or something like that playing with the bait and if you put a little flyer on you'll find out what it is and sometimes it's actually mullet feeding on the actual bait and the chances of them getting hooked on a 6-0 hook is quite slim but if you put a little flyer on they'll pick up that little bit as if it's broken off the main bait. It does work sometimes. Sticking with bread for the moment, with bread so cheap and easy to obtain, why wouldn't people want to give mullet fishing a try? There are some sea anglers who've got it in their mind that mullet aren't really a worthy quarry, that they're, they're almost like going coarse fishing. And I think there's a degree with some anglers, there's this macho thing that they like the 12-foot beach rod or the and the six ounce weight and they like to blast it out to the horizon and that some people just like using heavy tackle for sea fishing and they just don't get on with the finesse of mullet fishing whereas i think someone like myself i don't actually look at it as sea fishing or freshwater fishing i go fishing for fish and i tend to use the methods that i think are going to be most successful within the rules so i'm, I'm quite happy like last night I went fishing for salmon on the river with a fly rod. If I thought I could go out and catch a mullet on a fly rod, I'd quite happily do that. Whereas another time I might be out on the beach fishing for ray. And I tend to fish for whatever's out there and I'll use the tactics that will catch those fish. And taking us one step further again away from the traditional sea angling style is the use of brown bait in the true coarse fishing style. So what are your thoughts there? As regards to grown baiting... I do ground bait for mullet a lot, but it's not always essential. Generally, what you read it will, be, it will will say that to fish for mullet, you've got to ground bait to wean them onto the bait you're using. But I've fished out in the Channel Islands quite a bit, and we've arrived at Marks, and I have caught mullet on my very first cast before. I've put on a chunk of bread flake, cast it out, and I'm about to put the ground bait in. I've looked up, my float's disappeared, and I've struck and I've caught. So you can catch without ground baiting, but I would always tend to use ground bait. Um, I think there's other instances, like one of the local estuaries I fish, people feed the ducks on a regular basis. The mullet there are going to be used to feeding on bread in any case. So... Perhaps there are instances where ground bait isn't essential. It does, especially if you're fishing on the open coast, it will bring the mullet into the vicinity. And one of the other benefits is if you've got a nice stream of bread going into the water, it will bring the mullet closer to the surface and you can actually see them. And if you can see them, it gives you a lot of encouragement because you can actually see the fish there. can be frustrating when you actually see them picking up all the loose bits of bread and then just pushing the bit on the hook around with their nose but that's mullet to some extent um, as regards to how to apply the ground bait what I my, my friends often do is just get the food processor and just put a couple of loaves of bread into the food processor and grind it down till it's a very small breadcrumb and that's particularly good for putting into a feeder it's also good because it doesn't actually feed the fish. It tends to just stimulate them because they can smell it. They can see it. They're more likely then to pick up the bigger hook bait. 
But on other occasions, I've just got a lot of stale bread, put it in a bucket, and either got a potato masher on my hands and just mash it up into a mash and just throw it in either by hand or using a ladle. Another useful ploy is to get a, a bag, an onion sack or something like that, fill it up with bread and just hang it over the side. That gives a nice steady stream of particles out. And another option is if you're fishing low tide and you're fishing the flood tide, you can actually get the bread and just rub it into the rocks or the harbour face. That works quite well. Or in an estuary, you can actually bury the bread in the mud. So as the tide comes up, it loosens out a trail of bread. And another thing you can do with ground bait is you can also add uh, pilchard oil or bran. And when I fished in the Channel Islands, I've bought cat food from the local grocers because we've been limited to how much stuff we can take with us. And just put wet cat food, mix it in with the bread and buy tuna or pilchard flavour and, and mix it up. And that gives a really smelly concoction and that tends to bring in the mullet. But in the Channel Islands, what's also good is we've caught a lot of black bream and the black bream also respond well to ground bait in. So when you're actually float fishing for the mullet, you catch black bream and mullet. You don't know what's going to come next. So must the hook bait always match the loose feed? I think the main thing is to get them feeding. I'm not entirely sure they're going to be totally preoccupied on bread. I think if you've got a lot of bread in the water and you put on a, a little section, little, I've caught them on little cubes of sand eel before, or a little bit of garfish flesh or mackerel flesh, you will still catch them, but you can't really beat bread flake. That's pretty good. And the important thing with bread flake is I've tried messing around with bread paste, but I've always found the bread flake to be better. And if you just pinch it carefully around the eye of the hook, but make sure you leave a nice fluffy bit where the actual point of the hook is, the mullet will tend to suck the, the soft bread at the end. And you can then, when you strike, you're going to hook them. Some people get obsessed with the bread might come off. So they mould the bread on really tight. And the problem with that is, A, it doesn't seem to appeal to the mullet so much. And secondly, when you strike, you're liable to impede the hook point. The big difference, and if I may say it, big put-off for most shore anglers is the tackle and tactics aspect. But, at the end of the day, it's just a rod, a reel and a baited hook. So where is the problem? Perhaps you could shed a bit of light on that, starting with rods and reels. Well, what I would basically say is what you need for mullet fishing, you ideally need two sets of rods. You need a float fishing rod and you need something that's got a little bit of backbone in it. So you, you wouldn't go and buy a match rod that's suitable for roach or something like that. Ideally, you want something that's suitable for float fishing for tench or barbel. So something that's going to match with six pound line as a general guide and you're going to have match that with a suitable reel that can hold i would say you want a reel that can hold 200 yards of eight pound line um, sometimes i go down to a six pound line and i know people go down to four pound line personally i'd stick with the eight to six pound line especially if i'm rock fishing because if you hook a big mullet you might just want that extra little bit of, of a cushion. If, if you get a big fish that runs off, and I've heard of people, 
it hasn't happened to me fortunately but i've heard of people out in the channel islands actually being spooled they've hooked mullet and they haven't been able to stop them and they've emptied the reel completely of line so it wouldn't pay to fish too light because you might hook that fish of a lifetime i'm not one of these people who keeps on changing me tackle the float rod i've got is an old drennan tench rod which i've probably had for the last 30 years <laughs> it's been through the walls a bit it's got three inches missing from the tip where it got slammed in the car boot once but it's perfectly serviceable I've got another float rod which I bought which is one that's recommended and I can't remember even the make of it that one's one that's used for match fishing for carp and that's a rod I think that one's about 14 foot because a longer rod does tend to give you a little bit of an advantage I mean I've I know one chap I was fishing with once was using a 17 foot continental rod for the mullet and that was really good for tackle control but a little bit wearing perhaps in general use so I'm I'm quite happy with my 13 foot Drennan Tench rod does the job and as regards to fishing with a feeder on the bottom I've got a pair of Drennan big feeder rods which I used to use on the Hampshire Avon for barbel fishing but I find they work perfectly well for the mullet. I've also got a couple of um, medium feeder rods which I have used, but I quite like the, the Drennan big feeders and the Drennan stuff served me well. I did have a John Wilson Avon quiver. I've still got that, that works reasonably well. And when I go to the Channel Islands, I've got Oh, crikey, now what were the... I've got a travel rod, which is a, a barbel quiver and float rod. So you've got the two tips, and I've found that one's a really good rod. I'm trying to think of the make of it. Um, it's basically because when we go over there, we normally fly. So it's it, it saves... I can fit it in my suitcase. So that, that's pretty useful. Any particular makes and sizes of reels that you found were better than the rest? I've been using a graze reel for the last couple of years, which I've found is good. I've always liked Shimano reels. Um, Daiwa stuff's pretty good. But most fixables are... Shimano, I would say, is pretty good, really. Small bait runner sized reels are quite good. The... I think they'd be 2,500 size. They hold a couple of hundred yards of 8-pound line, which is the main thing. I've got a couple of friends who've dabbled with a centre pin. I think that's more because it's enjoyable to trot a float with a centre pin as regards to whether it's more effective. And what about loading up the reel? Braid or mono? I tend to use mono for the main line. I have experimented with braid and I know people who've used sort of £20 braid. The advantage with that is that it floats so it, it can give quite good presentation with the float because when you get a bite and you strike you don't get that sinking in the water uh, but I tend to apply mousseline line floating if I'm float fishing to give the line a bit of buoyancy to stop that happening braid's got no stretch so if you're ledgering with braid you get very very positive bites the disadvantage with that is you tend to react too quickly if you've been using mono for years and you suddenly try braid, when you get the bites, you tend to 
strike much too soon, the bite doesn't develop and you miss the fish. As regards to playing fish as well, I prefer to fish with mono. I find mono is a little bit more abrasive resistant. Braid can, if it brushes against a rock or something, part quite easily. And as there's no stretch in it, it's very unforgiving on the hook hold. And I'm not one of these people that would say the mullet have got soft mouths because the actual rubber of the top lip of a mullet is quite tough. If you get a hook in the top lip of a mullet, it won't come out. If you get it in the corner, it will tear. And braid, I, I think if you're going to get a tear, braid's more likely to make the hook hold fail. So I, I'm very much a mono person. As regards to the actual hook length, most of the time I use fluorocarbon, but I know other people who swear by brown Maxima for the hook length. Whether there's a big difference between standard mono hook lengths and fluorocarbon, it's very difficult to tell. Unless you fish two rods with different hook lengths for a period of time, you're not going to know. And it would take you years probably to get to work out that data. Now down to the business end. Obviously, because there is a range of tactics to be used here, including floats and ledgering rigs, your tackle box presumably contains quite a varied mix. Um, well, most of the floats that I use for mullet, the Drennan Chubber floats are quite good. You need a float that can take a fair bit of split shot. Ideally, something that will take the equivalent of a couple of swan shot. Stick floats are quite good. I tend not to use wagglers. What you tend to find with wagglers is because they, they're normally fish bottom end only, you get quite a lot of false bites because in the sea you've got the rise and fall of the swell and the waves, which tends to drag the float and then your float gets dragged under and you find these false striking at false bites. So I, I tend to fish a float nearly always top and bottom, not ever so particular about necessarily the type of float, but it, it needs to be reasonably buoyant. Different lines of thought as regards to floats, because I think I picked this up in the Channel Islands in particular, there was there's two trains of thought. I tended to go for the traditional freshwater chub style floats and try and be as sort of shot them up so they just about cocked up. So if you get a bite, it's going to be really decisive that the float will just go under the water easily. But I've had friends who've gone out there who've stuck on a standard sea float and used that. And they've sort of relied upon a more bolt rig effect in as much that they've sort of cast out this big sea float. And I've been there sort of initially laughing at them. And the next minute, you know, they've hooked a big mullet and their floats disappeared out of sight. And I'm thinking maybe they've got a point here especially if you're fishing at range a big float at range the, the mullet will sometimes hook themselves and not only that a big float isn't necessarily bad if you've got the correct weight on it because if you've got the correct weight on it and it's only just buoyant then there isn't that much resistance anyway when a fish takes and i, I think i've had my eyes opened a little bit on that uh, not so much when I've done it myself because I haven't done a huge amount of it but like float fishing on rivers like the Hampshire Avon where you've got a very fast flow they will use quite heavy floats 
with a lot of shot to keep the bait down and they're a long way away from the sort of little tiny coarse fishing floats that a lot of people think about and as long as they're balanced correctly and shotted right they'll work and that they don't put the fish off and abroad i've also used water filled bubble floats which are just another variation on that same theme yeah that can work well you can also use the carp uh, controllers that are used for carp fishing because they'll cast really well but i think at that when you're fishing like that you are relying more on self-hooking than you are when you're fishing short range and actually you know watching the float like a hawk so as soon as it goes under you strike perhaps there are times when the mullet are at range when they're going to be less cautious because they're not going to see an angler stood on the rocks so maybe they feed with less caution and the other thing i've found with fishing in strong tide runs some of the tide races we've fished in we've actually cast quite a reasonably big float out paid out line with it fishing again with bread but we fished the float so far out that we can't see it and we just hold the rod and then all of a sudden the rod just hoops over and the mullet has nailed the bait but because you've got a relatively tight line you've got a strong tide they hook themselves what about ancillary equipment i always carry a landing net with a long handle um extendable handle the one i use most of the time is a three-piece aluminium one which i had made up which i just got some connecting um nuts and bolts that i connect it with that's about i suppose it's about a 15 foot long handle because some of the marks we fish were on a high wall and i prefer to use a long handled landing net than i do a drop net drop nets are good on, on certain occasions but trying to maneuver a mullet into a drop net one hand with the rod and one on the drop net it can be quite difficult and i know that it can be like that with a landing net but at least the landing net you can get a bit better angle with it whereas with a drop net it's straight below directly below the wall and you sometimes struggle um, as regards to feeders i normally use cage feeders they're quite big drennan cage feeders with sort of better aim to lead on them i use those quite a lot even without ground bait in if i'm not putting a lot of ground bait in because they don't snag up so much if you use an ordinary uh, little bomb weight and you're fishing with a lot of boulders that will go in between the boulders you get snagged up whereas the feeder tends to just bounce across and sit on the top and as regards to the, the general rig that I would use for ledgering for mullet, most of the time use a two-hook pattern oster. Normally use two small three-way swivels. Sometimes use a little bit of shrink tube just to hold the line out a little bit. And fairly short hook length of about six-inch hook length normally on the ledger. And you fish the feeder on the bottom and fish the hook lens probably about a foot apart but that varies to be according to the depth of water you're fishing in and as regards to the hooks i have used sakuma hooks quite a lot about a size eight but probably my all-time favorite is a drennan specimen semi barbless they've got a barb but they're quite a small barb and i've found they'll handle pretty well anything mullet wise as regards to other equipment i either carry a small waistling 
uh, similar to course anglers use or a carrier bag which I normally you know just keep make sure it's damp 99% of the mullet I catch I release I don't think I've eaten a mullet now for probably 10 years but I have eaten them in the past and they're not bad eating if you catch them out the sea when they're fresh they taste very much like a bass but they're a very slow growing fish and I think conservation is very important and you can't really sort of grumble about commercial fishermen taking out mullet if you keep them yourself. So 99% of them go back alive. Always careful with the way you handle them because their scales are, are inclined to come off if you handle them roughly. So it's a case of handling them as carefully as possible. As regards to cameras, normally get a quick picture in the net of them. Unless if you've got a friend with you, then yeah, you can pose with it and get them to take a picture. Uh, I have used self-timers on a tripod in the past, but most of the time I fish with a friend. I don't tend to fish on my own that often, so there's normally someone else there to take a picture. And these days, even the quality of the the mobile phones these days, there's normally a passerby who'll take a quick picture, so normally an issue with that. Um, other things to carry when you're... Yeah, normally carry a pair of forceps... A selection of floats for different conditions, a range of split shot, and we haven't discussed split shot, but when you're float fishing, it always pays to give a little bit of thought as to how you want to present the bait. Typically, I'll use a small swivel to connect the hook length. That gives a little bit of weight in itself. But if you're fishing in deep water, you might want to get the bait down really quick so therefore you might want to group the split shot fairly closely a foot away from the hook i normally put a little split shot sort of a bb or smaller about three or four inches away from the hook other times i'll arrange the split shot sort of shirt button style evenly spaced so you get a slightly slower sinking bait and i have on occasions fished with the split shot right up against the float so that the bait sinks very slowly or even on the surface it all depends where the fish are as to how you set up your terminal tackle when you're float fishing now you hinted earlier at the wide range of options and locations open to mullet fishing so perhaps you could say a few words about these mullet are very very common fish during the main summer season Mullet are far more prolific than people think. They roam the open coast, they come into harbours, they come right up into freshwater. I've seen mullet two to three mile upstream of the upper tidal limit. Now, for some reason, when the mullet get into that freshwater, they do become extremely hard to catch. But they will travel way up into freshwater. A lot of my mullet fishing has been carried out on the open coast on rock marks and normally then you'd find a rock mark, ground bait it up and float fish. Now not every mark will produce and it's not always it's not always easy to guess which places will be good, but good places to look for they tend to be attracted to fresh water. So if you've got a flow of fresh water that's a good starting point. They also particularly fond of browsing on green weed. So if you can find lots of green weed, they'll feed around that. 
They quite like tide races as well. They will feed in where there's quite a strong tide race, especially you can fish on the edge of the tide race. But it can take quite a lot of time to actually discover where the mullet are going to be because they are creatures of habit to a certain extent and you can fish a mark and you'll catch nothing for a couple of hours and then at a certain state of the tide the mullet will arrive. Now if you can discover what state of tide they arrive you can time your visits to coincide with that in the future and you'll very often find that there's particular marks I fish that I know that as on the dropping tide when a particular rock becomes uncovered you can expect to start catching. But the problem is with that, it takes quite a lot of time to discover that because you've got to go through the pain of having blanks or unsuccessful sessions before you actually come across that. But once you've learnt that, then you can time your sessions to coincide with the optimum part of the tide. Despite not being commercially pursued in many areas, presumably you'll still have witnessed changes over the years, be that in numbers, distribution and or size. Well, since I've been fishing, I would say there's... I don't think there's been a dramatic decline in the grey mullet populations on the actual open sea. You very often find there's declines in the, in the estuary. What you sometimes find in the estuary is you'll get a lot of mullet will come in and then they'll suddenly disappear. Now, I think there have been times when that has been linked to the fact that the mullet have arrived and then they've been netted. Fortunately, I think there's legislation coming in a lot of our local estuaries to reduce the drift netting, which has taken mullet in the past. But over the... I was interviewing a, a gentleman a couple of years ago about mullet fishing. He was talking about the River Tor. Most of the mullet we get in the River Tor, we get a large head of, of thin lips in the river. And he was showing me photographs from back in the 1950s when he used to float fish with ragworm for the thin-lipped mullet and he would use a three hook rig and he showed me pictures where he was lifting up three mullet at a time they showed me the rods he was in the whole cane rods and they weighed it they were really heavy rods and it was this gear they were using was quite hefty there was no finesse with it and he was telling me that they could catch up to a hundred mullet on a tide now, even allowing for a little bit of exaggeration, that would be impossible today. And he said that when the mullet came in, at times the river went black with mullet. And I've spoken to other people who fished back in the 50s and 60s, and the catches that they describe and the quantities of mullet, you just can't imagine that ever being like that again. But the river was a lot dirtier then as well which may have had some impact. But mullet stocks in the estuaries years ago were far, far greater than they are now, populations of fish. And on the open coast, I fished Alderney quite a lot back in the, I suppose it would have been back in the late 80s, early 90s. And whilst I never actually caught any of the really big fish, I'd fished to sort of over five, but there was always double figure mullet caught there each year. And I've talked to people in recent years and the mullet fishing over there is nothing like it was back 20 years ago. It's been a huge decline and that most of that is attributed to very heavy netting. Pretty much all of what we've discussed so far has been aimed at the thick-lipped grey mullet. 
but there are two other species, the thin-lipped and the golden grey. What can you tell us about the fishing for these? Yeah, I haven't done so much fishing for the thin-lips, but I've done, I've done some spinning on the tour for them. And they're a totally different fish to the thick-lips in as much that they can be very aggressive feeders and they're undoubtedly predatory. Normally use a small MEP spinner. You can use it in a conjunction with a float just to keep it up a bit. But generally about a size 6 hook, bait it with some ragworm, just 4 or 5 small harbour rag. And another reason, I've, I've had some success using the little isomi artificial ragworm. I've sometimes used them in conjunction with the real thing. So I put a couple of isomi on and then tipped it off with the real ragworm. Because, you know, digging lots of ragworm can be a bit bad work on the back. So mixing it with the, the artificial seems to work quite well. And just basically, you can cover a lot of ground with a spinner. Walk up and down, look for likely spots. I've been using LRF type gear for that type of fishing. You can just scale right down to four pound line. And it can be good fun. But I haven't done so much of that. I've got friends who do, and the River Tor is particularly well known for it. It used to be very heavily fished for it, but people don't do it so much as they did. But it, it's still quite popular in the area, and I, I know it's popular in other estuaries as well. The Hampshire Avon above Moneyford is another prime area. Of course, on the Hampshire Avon, I've got friends who fish there, and they do catch sun thin lips there on the bread as well, not just on the baited spinner, which I would find interesting. What about the Golden Greys? Well, Golden Greys, that's something I intend to do some more fishing for. The beaches of North Devon, very few people fish for the Golden Greys, but they're undoubtedly there. Some people have targeted them, have caught them using light paternoster tactics with small harbour rag. And the beaches of North Wales are very similar to those in uh, South West Wales because you've got like Vasili Beach and that, which is well known for its golden greys. Uh, my son caught a golden grey down in New Lynn, fishing in the harbour two years ago. We were actually going out shark fishing, but the sharking was cancelled. But we had some mullet in tackle, and we went in the harbour there and float fished with mackerel flesh, because we've been told that was the successful means there of catching golden greys. And he had a golden grey just under £2, and all I could catch was thick lips. And um, we also had a few small guildheads down there as well. Right, unless I've missed anything, I think we've pretty much done the mullet fishing to death. But I know that that's not all the fishing you do. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your other interests, observations and successes. My favourite fish is the fish that I'm fishing for at the time. I think fishing... It's about more than just fish because it's the people you meet and the places it takes you. In the last couple of years, I've been to Norway fishing. I've been to the Channel Islands fishing. I went to Egypt fishing once. So it takes you to a lot of wonderful places. And in the course of that, you meet a lot of very interesting people, make a lot of friends. I love to go out for a boat for a day. You get plenty of banter and chat and and you're out in the environment all the time. One of the things you learn with fishing as well is over the years, you go fishing and you catch fish. And when you look back very often, you think, if only I'd known that at the time. 
because you learn a lot and you know that if you knew what you knew now back 20 years ago there was far more fish around then so the opportunities you have and you miss in life uh, it's like I go fishing for salmon now and you know, I'm lucky if I catch one or two in a season there was rivers down here where people used to catch a hundred salmon in a season one person now a hundred salmon in a season is the total for the entire river you know, it's a pretty sad decline really and last year I was able to um, sort of fulfill a childhood dream really because I said I used to go to Lou on my holidays and um, we used to go and fish for the mullet but every night the boats would come in and they'd bring in the blue shark and looking back it was criminal really because they, most of the shark then was slaughtered and they'd haul them up and you, all the visitors would come and gawp at the, the fish hung up there me included as a sort of nine ten year old but I was fascinated by the shark and um, last year I went down off Penzance and we actually had a day out blue shark fishing and uh, I caught seven blue shark in a day we had 35 between us uh, between five of us and we had blue shark up to 100 pound and they were all caught released and it was just a fantastic day's fishing and it was almost like sort of closing the loop really because I'd seen those as a child and then I was actually go out and catch them and admire them and put them back and that was a wonderful experience and that's the way it should be yes right the final word must go to the mullet what would you say to the deniers who hang on to the thought that mullets are uncatchable and as such are missing out they're certainly not uncatchable if you apply the right tactics and the right tackle fish in the right places have a little bit of patience you can catch mullet and when you hook them they're one of the hardest fighting fish in the sea i tell you one more thing phil i was going to say when you were talking about ground bait a little bit of a, a funny story we went to uh, sark in the channel islands about three years ago and a friend of mine said i, I can get a really good deal he said on postage so it's okay so we had this plan that we were going to post out all our ground bait and it would save taking it on the plane. So we ended up, I think we, between us, we ground down in breadcrumb, sort of about 20 kilos of breadcrumb. And we got it shipped out to Sark. The plan was when we got there, all the ground bait would be there. So we arrived, first day, no ground bait. Second day, no ground bait. But the fifth day, we went to the shop. The third ground bait arrived. Yes, it's arrived. And this package arrived with customs and excise all over it. It was a white powder. You know, you can imagine what the customs and excise thought. By then, the, the ground bait had all gone green and mouldy. And we had two days to use it all up. And I'll bet the initials P and O represented two totally different words when the ground bait didn't arrive on time. But that's the way it is with these things sometimes. As long as you still caught plenty of fish, which I'm sure you did. Yeah. As hopefully will other people after listening to this. Many thanks then to Wayne Thomas for sharing his experiences with us here. 